Good evening, this is Quintus Curtius. Welcome back to the podcast. And in this podcast, we're going to be talking about two different but possibly related themes, which are fate and struggle. Fate and struggle. We'll be talking a little bit about the article that I most recently put on my blog, qcurtius.com, about the goddess who meets out divine retribution for mortals, Adrastia or Nemesis. And we'll also be talking a little bit about struggle, about struggle, which is a theme that I've dealt with very, very often here at Fortress of the Mind, both in my books, 37 and Pantheon, and also in many different articles. So we'll be talking about these two related themes. And let's start first with Adrastia. And I discussed this goddess in the most recent article that appeared on my website. And the, 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 the title is Adrastia, the goddess who punishes hubris and arrogance. And this proved to be a pretty popular article because I think it personifies and deals with a subject that a lot of us instinctively feel deep down, that there is some form of divine justice, of divine retribution for those who overstep the bounds set by nature, for those who fall victim to hubris, to arrogance, to pride. Somehow there is some sort of divine retribution. And Adrastia was the name of a minor goddess in classical antiquity, late classical antiquity, I might add. And in Latin, she was called Adrastia. And her Greek name seems to have been mostly Nemesis. And the idea here is that this is a goddess who visited divine retribution, who was the great leveler on those who somehow transgressed the laws of gods or men or both. And I quoted a very, very vivid description of Adrastia in, uh, that I found in the late Roman historian Ammianus Marcellinus. And I translated this passage for readers, and I'll just read it here just so you can, if, for, if those who are listening to this podcast don't have to refer back to the original. Ammianus says, and he was writing in the 4th century AD, 4th century AD, he says, these and many other similar examples are often the operation of Adrastia, the punisher of wicked deeds and the patron of good deeds. And let us hope it is always so. We may call her by her secondary name, Nemesis. She is the subtle law of an inexorable higher power, as some men believe. She is located above the orbit of the moon. Others maintain that she is a kind of general guardian over the fates of individuals. The ancient theologians have pictured her as the daughter of justice, and from a far-off eternity she looks down on all earthly affairs. As the queen of causes and the arbiter and decider of human affairs, she handles the urn with its probabilities and causes fortunes to change sometimes producing for us results that were very different from what we had originally intended. Many acts she twists into something very different, restraining the always expanding mortal arrogance with the chains of fate and tilting the scales of gain and loss as she knows how to do, 
She undermines and lowers the haughty necks of the arrogant. She elevates good men from the lowest rungs of society to a blessed station in life. Tradition has provided her with wings, so that she may be able to visit anyone with all deliberate speed. And it gave her a helm to grasp and a wheel under her, so that as she runs through the elements, no one will ever forget that she commands the fate of the universe. And this is from Ammianus Marcellinus's history, Res Gestae, Book 14, Subchapter 11. And it's a very, very powerful, very vivid passage. And I was attracted to, my attention was drawn to a comment that was left by one of the, in the comment section by one of the readers, who goes by the name J. Vince. J. Vince. And J. Vince says this. He says, You speak of Adrasti here in two senses. One, as a set of myths and stories which have a lesson to teach about the dangers of hubris and a sensibility for the balance between too much good fortune and too little hard effort. And two, as a goddess who rewards the faithful and punishes the misguided efforts of infidels. He says infidels. I don't, I don't think that's not really what I think what he means by misguided efforts of fools. And he says, say I were your pupil and that I placed my sense of cosmic justice in the hands of another deity altogether. How would I hope, how would I hope to live out the lessons that the myth of uh, Adrastia teaches without me having to betray my faith in a different deity? Or perhaps better yet, perhaps better put, how would you recommend I heed the warnings of Adrastia stories with the fidelity of a faithful adherent without proselytizing a belief in the goddess Adrastia? I ask this since, as a public school teacher, I can't advocate for a particular belief system. Yet I am finding myself simultaneously responsible for insul inculcating, he says insulating, but I think what he means is inculcating a sense of moral virtue in students. It's a tight spot to be in. Certainly, it's like swimming upstream, culturally speaking. In a society that bemoans personal responsibility, we are, as C.S. Lewis puts it, removing the organ while demanding its function. We castrate and bid the geldings be fruitful. Well, I think what Mr. Vince is trying to say here is he's trying to ask, how do I teach, how do I talk about this goddess without being accused of religious advocacy? And, you know, it's when I read this, it's pretty sad. It's pretty sad that we have to, that we've gotten to this point in our society where you can't even discuss moral issues or moral virtues without the possibility of someone saying that you're advocating a, a religion. Because it should be clear that uh, Adrastia is not, this is not, has nothing to do with a religious advocacy in any way, shape, or form. It's simply a muse. You need to think of Adrastia simply as almost a patron saint of justice. And remember, the, in the pantheon of ancient gods and goddesses, there were many, many, many dozens of gods and goddesses. Many dozens, maybe even scores of them. All right, maybe even hundreds of them, I suppose, if we really sat out to count. And you have to, there was a, a core pantheon of gods that were worshipped in which people built large temples to. But then there were all these other lesser gods and goddesses and, and even demigods and heroes. There was sort of a, there was a whole higher, a whole cosmology of, of different uh, major and minor gods. And so you have to think of a goddess like this as almost kind of like a, a mascot or a patron saint or a muse or a, uh, try not to think of her in religious terms. 
Okay, do not think of this as a religious issue, because I think the only person that would really do that was someone who really doesn't know what they're talking about, doesn't really understand what's being discussed. Now, I suppose you can worship anything. You know, you can certainly worship anything if you want to. Someone could probably turn this into a religion if they wanted to, but that's not the intention. That's not the purpose. And so my advice to Mr. Vince would be simply to just put it out there and just discuss it. And you can tell clearly the difference between simply pointing something out uh, when compared with telling people to worship something. Okay, there's, there's a huge difference. There's a huge difference. I think the right way to broach it is to say, look, uh, um, it's a fact that in classical antiquity there was uh, there was this goddess Nemesis, and it was, she was uh, discussed by the ancient Greek uh, tragedians, the, the the playwrights, and some of the historians, and this is what was believed to be the case. And just explain, factually explain, uh, you know what what's discussed in the article here. Okay, there's a big. There's nothing wrong with factually explaining something. There's there's a big difference between uh, look. It, it, it's it's all in how you how you do it. It's all in how you approach it, and that's really where the skill of being a teacher comes in. It's up to you to convey the knowledge in a way that is not hectoring, in a way that's not uh, you know running afoul of uh, you know religious prescriptions against advocating religions, but I think it's a, it's a pretty easy thing to talk about. I think the harder thing, I would think, would be to, to discuss like uh, any of the modern major world religions without uh, having someone get offended. I think if you, if you were to try to teach a course on, say, comparative religion, uh, there's always that danger that someone could think you're advocating one over the other, you know, but that's a discussion for a different day. But my response to Mr. Vince here is just to relax. Relax. Okay, no one's going to accuse you of anything. You just put the information out there. You express it in a way that's neutral and that's factual and that's backed up by facts. And people are going to understand that. People are going to tell the difference between sincerity and lack of sincerity. So... That's my response to Mr. Vince. And in, in a larger sense here, the goddess Adrastia is something I think that we should keep in mind. I think it's something to keep in mind as, as a way for us to curb our hubris, as a way for us to control our inherent tendency to slip into arrogance over time. Once we enjoy a long stretch of good fortune, we tend to forget that in life, in, in many ways, things are balanced out. If you're on a lucky streak, if good things are happening, enjoy it while it lasts and plan for a rainy day because it, uh, it always comes to an end. And the universe has a way of teaching you things that you rather would not have known. So I think that's something to keep in mind. Let's move on to our next topic here, which is the topic of struggle. And... I'm going to talk about the film The Grey. The title of the film is The Grey. It's a 2011 survival epic, survival drama starring Liam Neeson, directed by Joe Carnahan. And 
I first found out about this movie uh, when I was just scouring the internet and I ran across some post about you know, top 10 movies that you uh, you know may not have seen or something something to the effect of underappreciated movies. And I'm a big Liam Neeson fan, so I wanted to see what this was all about. And I saw this movie and I thought it was brilliant, just fantastic. And I said to myself, why is it I've never heard of this movie? Or why is it that this never... This movie slipped through the, through the cracks in 2011, and I never really was exposed to this movie. Well, I think the answers are going to become clear once I talk a little bit more about this movie. But it's a it's a stunning survival epic. It's about a group of Alaskan um, oil workers, oilmen stranded in uh, after a plane crash. They're they're a bunch of guys. They get on this plane, and the plane goes down somewhere in the Alaskan wilderness. And they're forced to make a desperate trek through uh, frozen wastes, the frozen wastes of uh, of Alaska, to try to get to habitable lands. And they're stalked by a pack of ravenous wolves that almost seem demonic. And the wolves slowly but surely pick them off one after another. And the big question is: Are they going to be able to get back? to civilization, or is, is any number of them going to be able to get back? And I loved this movie. I thought it was fantastic. And, you know, I've, I've, um, I've talked a lot about the themes of struggle and survival in, in my first two books, 37 and Pantheon. And this is a theme that's very, very important to me. And I, I find it very, very compelling because I think a man is never truly tested until he's been pushed to his outer limits of endurance and survival. And this is a harrowing movie. This is a movie, I think, that did not get a lot of publicity because, it, frankly, it's a very dark film. It's a very, very dark film. It starts out with Liam Neeson contemplating suicide. And it's a very somber film. It has a very, very heavy uh, feel to it. It's, it's grim. It's unremitting. Uh, there's no women at all in it. And it's a it's a it's a man's movie. It's a it's not uh, this is not a a, a hand holding feel good Hollywood epic. This is a grim uh, battle for survival. And without really revealing the ending, let me just say that uh, this is not the type of movie where if you're looking for your happy resolution ending, where everything is wrapped up in a nice bow and and everything is uh, funsy onesy at the end and you're leaving the theater hopping and skipping and jumping down the sidewalk. This is not that kind of a movie. So for, for that reason alone, you should see it because these types of movies are not made very often anymore. In fact, I was reminded when I was watching this movie of Jack London's story, uh, Love of Life. And if you may know this story, you may not. Love of Life. It's a, a harrowing, uh, grim and bitter Jack London story of a, of a man and a wolf stalking each other across the frozen tundra, both starving. And the battle is who is going to survive the other, who is going to outlive the other. And it literally comes down to fang against hand, claw against fist, and mouth against mouth. It's, it's that grim. It's, a, it's a, a, a terrifying, in many ways, story. And really, though, you know, life can be like that sometimes. Life life is not a joke. 
And the reason why I like movies like this is because it reminds us that life is not a game. When all is said and done, when you strip things down to their essentials, sometimes in life you have to fight for grim survival. And sometimes you're not going to get any help from anyone. Sometimes you're on your own. Sometimes you're walking in circles. Sometimes when you think you're getting out of problems, you're only getting further and further deeply enmeshed in problems. But really what defines man, what elevates man's existence above and beyond that of the beasts, above and beyond that of the animals, is his ability to know that he's going through this kind of a trial. It's his ability to rationalize and conceptualize his struggle, which takes it out of the realm of the beast, beastly... Um, the beastly necessities of nature into a maybe a higher a higher plane a higher dimension it's almost like as pascal says you know that man will always be more noble than the universe because when the physical bodies in the universe the planets the stars perish they have no awareness that they're dying but man knows he's dying man knows that he's engaged in a life or death battle he knows he's dying he knows he's struggling and yet that itself is what makes him great. His ability to persist even when he knows he's going down, that makes him great. And there's a lot of truth to this. There's a lot of truth to this. And I've talked about this, about Pascal's, uh, this quote specifically on my website and other issues. But at the end of the day, when all is said and done, much of life comes down to just a grim battle for survival. And sometimes you have to just... You know, strap on your knife, you have to just uh, grab a hold of your weapons, and you have to fight, even when you know you're going down, even when you know you're going down, especially when you know you're going down, because it's that nobility of struggle, which allows later generations to pick up the torch where you left off. It's what enables others to preserve your memory. Because peoples and nations that go down in a fight generally rise again. But those who surrender, those who give up without any battle at all, those are the ones who truly are damned. And I really think that in many ways, this is the message of the gray. It's that no matter how bad things are, no matter how grim or hopeless the situation seems to be, you have to keep going. You have to keep fighting. You have to. You have no choice. You have to do it. So if you get a chance, you really should try to see this movie. And don't listen to the people who say, and I'll, I'll make a comment about this. There are some people that I've talked about this movie to who say, well, don't you know that wolves don't behave that way? As if this movie is about wolves. And I said to uh, the person I was talking to the other day about this, I said, yes, I'm, I'm aware of that. I know wolves don't behave this way. But, you know, there is such a thing as artistic license. There is such a thing as a filmmaker's license. And I don't really see the intention here to, uh, of the director or the, the writer to present us with a literal 
uh, presentation of how wolves behave. This is not a nature movie. This is not a nature special. He's using these wolves as almost symbolic beings. They may physically be wolves, but they could represent the universe in general. They could represent our own inner demons. They could represent our own challenges, our own struggles who are hounding us and nipping at our heels as we frantically try to escape from our own internal frozen tundra of Alaska. So don't look at things literally. That's the problem with people in many ways. I think they get into trouble when they try to interpret movies or literature. They take too literal an approach to things. They say, well, this, is, this would never happen in real life. Okay, you know, okay, I get that. I get that. But I think this is meant to be an allegory. I don't think the director is intentionally trying to present wolfish behavior as here is realistic. Of course, they don't behave that way. But I think it's clear that the director presents these wolves in such an over-the-top demonic manner that we're expected to be able to use our own brains, to be able to use our own judgment, and to understand that the director is taking artistic license here with the presentation of the material. So that's the one final comment I'll have on, on the wolf issue. But it's a great film, and it talks about struggle. It really deals with the necessity and the redemptive power that man has for struggling for his survival, for fighting against the oppressive forces of nature or of other men. And this really is the lesson. And this is the lesson I've tried to convey in some of my earlier writings. So I I hope you get a chance to see it. And I'll conclude the podcast here on this note. I'm Quintus Curtius. Good night.